<laughs> All right. Good morning. Good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports, episode 488. Welcome in to my new office. Hello, everyone. We're at a... I'm not going to tell you where I'm parked. I'm parked in a parking lot. I uh, got trees behind me. Uh... And this is the new setup. I'm learning new recording equipment today. I've never recorded anything with this device here. Uh, I recorded one episode of Zach Schaumler talking my other podcast with a different piece of equipment. It went well, but I, I was borrowing it from my dad. Well, this came in the mail, got this today. Here we are doing the best I can. I want to be clear. Um, it's a work in progress. I'm still figuring things out. Um, I am still figuring out how to make it look the best and what I'm doing. Like... I'm recording in a pickup truck. It's not going to ever look like I'm not recording in a pickup truck. Uh, but I think that's kind of the fun of it. I hope maybe someday there's mountains behind me or the Arizona desert or who knows what is going to be in the background of all these different episodes. But here we are today. Uh, I want you to know that I built the desk that I'm recording on. I built uh, drawers in the back of my truck. Uh, I'm still waiting on the canopy. Once the canopy gets here, I'm going to take my truck on the road and live out of it. And that'll be super fun. Um, I, I expect someday security is going to knock on my door and want to talk to me. And that'll be part of the podcast and be like, yeah, I'm here in a parking lot recording. And that'll be interesting. Um, I'll say that since I got back, I've been spending a lot of time with my friends and family. Um, like I was gone for a whole year and there was a lot to catch up on and make up for. I also like my friend Austin had a baby. I went and saw his newborn baby. I've been seeing friends. I've been traveling everywhere. Um, gosh, within a a one week span, my brother graduated college. My mom gets married this weekend. It's been a lot. And I just want to say thank you for your patience. A lot of people have been very kind and very patient as I figure out what I'm doing. And, um, I, I just, I want you to know I'm doing well. I know it looks weird. You're like, what? Some of you didn't even know I was planning to live in a pickup truck and drive across the country. And that's fine. And also I want to give you permission if the show changes so much. I don't think it's going to change, really. The only thing that's going to be different now is where it's set out of, honestly. Um, but if for some reason you're like, hey, this is too different for me. I don't like it. No problem. I love you. If you've been around for a while, thank you. If you choose to leave because of the new recording setup, uh, that's totally fine, man. I, I just want to say thank you to all the people who are listening. Thank you. If, if this is the last time you're ever going to listen to me, also thank you. You still... Got me here to where I am today. I'm very happy. I'm very much enjoying what I'm doing. Uh, and let's jump into the show. Today we got a fun show. We're going to talk about Deshaun Watson. We are going to talk about, oh my gosh, Ryan Fitzpatrick retired. There's Sean Payton rumors. Uh, Justin Fields. There's a great story with Ohio State football. Do a lot of Ask Zach questions from Patreon. I don't know where I put my phone. My phone was somewhere. Here it is. I need my phone. It's very crucial for doing Ask Zach questions. Um, also, I, I want to try something. This could go horribly. It's kind of a fun way to start the show. There's a button on here that I think if I touch it, it's going to play funky music. There's A, B, C, and D little buttons lit up on the recording thing I'm, I'm using. I hit A by accident. I've never hit any of the other buttons, but I'm going to hit A real quick. We're going to see what happens, and then we'll dive into sports. Um, but... I don't know. Listen, what is going to happen? I don't know, but I'm going to air. I'll, I'll even hold it up for people on YouTube and hit the button. We'll see what happens. I don't really like it. Not a fan. Is it going to last? 
Okay, good. It's short. I didn't know how long that was going to go. Let's do one more. What, what does B do? That, that's it. I don't, I don't know what the use for that is. I'm sure you could probably um, use those buttons. Like, it'd be cool to have some kind of cool sound for, like, Ask Zach or something. Now, here's what's even funnier, though. That played in my headphones. For all I know, that funky noise music you just heard, you might not have even heard it. So I don't know what's happening, but uh, let's jump in. Brown's quarterback, Deshaun Watson, is now facing another lawsuit. A 24th woman has come forward and accused him of sexual misconduct. Now, let's be clear. I'm a man in a pickup truck wearing sunglasses recording a sports podcast. I am not a lawyer, and I am not going to try to break down the situation or explain to you who's right or wrong or is he. I'm not a lawyer. I can't do the lawyer stuff. But I, I do want to say, first of all, we're just waiting at this point to see how this goes. It, it feels like it's going to be another two years probably of all kinds of stuff before we really get to the bottom of what happened. And uh, will Deshaun Watson be suspended? Is he going to get in trouble in court? I don't know. I have no idea where this is going. But I will say this. This entire saga is the most Cleveland Browns thing ever in my entire life. My whole life from when I was a tiny child to now the Browns organization has been hopeless and screwed up and had problem after problem after problem for example prime example do you remember because I do not only did the Browns not win games for years but they even drafted Johnny Manziel in the first round it's the same organization that drafted Johnny Manziel again in the first round these are the Cleveland Browns we love and know and Cleveland Briefly, outside of LeBron, Cleveland's football team, the the Cleveland Browns briefly had a moment of success. They drafted quarterback Baker Mayfield, number one overall. And then in 2020, guess what happened? They made the playoffs. They won a playoff game. They beat the Pittsburgh Steelers. It was awesome. There was a, a brief moment where you're like, wow, if you've been your whole life looking at the Browns as horrible, things feel like they're changing. Then last year, Baker got hurt. And uh, both him and the Browns took a step backward. You can debate, was it the injury? Was he just playing bad? Who knows? But the reality now is that the Browns ruined their relationship with Baker by trading for Deshaun Watson. And then after trading for Deshaun Watson, a guy with multiple lawsuits against him at the time and accusations and yada yada. While that's going on, the Browns still gave Deshaun Watson the largest guaranteed contract in NFL history. $230 million. I want to go through it one more time. The Browns gave the largest guaranteed contract in NFL history to a guy who did not play last year. A guy who's facing a ton of allegations uh, for sexual misconduct. And they went from a team that had a starting quarterback who won them a playoff game. Then they ruined that relationship, got into a new one with a guy who's got super... We'll say this. His character is suspect. I... There's a lot of good Deshaun Watson appears to have done with donating money and stuff, but the the sexual allegation stuff, it's bad. It looks terrible. And it's funny to me, this is my angle, it's the most Browns thing we've ever seen. Maybe it works. It, it certainly feels like a risk that could pay off because on top of the problems, you also do have to acknowledge that as far as talent goes, as far as on-field ability, if we're talking like Madden ratings, for example— 
Deshaun Watson is the best, most talented quarterback the Cleveland Browns organization has ever had. So, like, on paper, if it's Madden, it's great. But right now, it feels like the Browns kind of got a touch of winning and then ruined it. And we're not really sure if it's going to continue down a good road or a bad road. And I want to I want to color something, a bit of the Deshaun Watson story here. Um, it's This has kind of become a joke, but it's also like, I saw it. You might have seen it, too. There's a video of Deshaun Watson at his house with former porn star Mia Khalifa dressed up like a maid and playing basketball with him. Again, with Deshaun Watson at Deshaun Watson's house. It's a bad look. And I just, I want to say one more time, this entire saga between winning a playoff game, screwing up your relationship, then bringing in Deshaun Watson. It's the most Cleveland Browns thing we've ever seen. And, uh... I don't know. A lot's been going on. We're nowhere near really figuring out where this is going, what's going to happen. But um, from where I sit in my pickup truck, that's the update. Is like, wow, this is, uh, of course, the Browns are the team that got into this scenario. All right. Um, let's talk about the Miami Dolphins. Dave Hyde, a reporter for the Miami-based newspaper, The Sun Sentinel. David Hyde has reported that apparently the Miami Dolphins wanted Sean Payton to be their head coach so badly that they offered him a five-year, $100 million contract. That would have been $20 million a year, by the way. Now remember, if somehow you don't know who Sean Payton is, he coached for years with the New Orleans Saints. He worked with Drew Brees. He won a Super Bowl in New Orleans and took them New Orleans took them from a horrible franchise to a team that was a perennial winner and even once won a Super Bowl. And I've heard this rumor a lot that they were pursuing Sean Payton. Uh, This is the first time, this is the most substantiated report I've heard about it. And I think it's real. And I think it's really interesting that Miami could not get Mike McDaniels. Sorry, they couldn't get Sean Payton, so they settled for Mike McDaniels. Who, by the way, I love Mike McDaniel. I think it's awesome. I think he's going to be a great, hopefully a great head coach, but certainly a really fun, entertaining presence in Miami. But I got to say, a coach making 20 million dollars a year to coach an NFL team is a bit awkward. Uh, That's more than almost every player. And look, so this year in 2022, the highest paid player is Emmanuel Ogba for Miami. He makes, he's an $11 million salary cap hit. I don't know. I forgot his base salary, but his, his cap hit is $11 million. Next year, big contracts kick in and you'll have guys like Tyreek Hill Xavier Howard and Teron Armstead as the three people making more than $20 million a year in Miami. But can you imagine a coach where he makes more money than all but three players on your roster? It's a bit awkward when your monetary value is higher than the people you're coaching. And while $20 million is a lot of money, I, I have to wonder if, I, look, I don't know. I, I think if Sean, Sean Bayton clearly didn't want the job and turned it down, uh, which is interesting because, I mean, you offer me $20 million a year. There's a lot of stuff I would do for that money. I'm like, I, I'm sorry. That might be the number where I sell out and just say, screw it. I'm doing it. I'm going to take this job. Um, but it also, in a weird way, feels like a trap where that's a lot of baggage that's hard to win with. And your, your players might even resent you for making more money than them. It's just an awkward amount that uh, would have been unprecedented. Like, John Gruden made $10 million a year at a 10-year, $100 million contract. Five years, $100 million is 20 a year. That's just insanity. And uh, I wonder, 
I would just love to have been able to be a fly on the wall at Sean Payton's house, listening to him make phone calls and debate this decision. Hey, Miami really wants me. They offered this amount of money. He calls his agent, his friends, his family, whatever, and goes, what do y'all think? I, I wish I could have been there for that conversation because I'm so curious what those conversations were like. Like, what were the options he was weighing while trying to decide whether to take <laughs> 21, sorry, $20 million a year to coach the Miami Dolphins? I, I will always wonder why he said no, what the factors were, and uh, what went on behind the scenes there. Because there's some interesting story there that we don't have all the details to yet. Okay, there are a couple NFL contracts I want to talk about. Uh, first of all, Pittsburgh Steelers safety Minka Fitzpatrick just signed a four-year deal. $18 million a year, $18.4 million a year uh, or more. And then that's $36 million guaranteed at signing. Minka Fitzpatrick is now the highest paid safety ever. You're going to hear that a lot, by the way, as years go on. Every new contract is going to be the highest paid blah, blah, blah ever because there's more money than ever in football. Rams wide receiver Cooper Cup signed a three-year extension worth $80 million, $75 million fully guaranteed. That's a guy from my home state of Washington, went to Washington, went to Eastern Washington University, uh, married his college sweetheart. And uh, man, it's cool to see a guy who I watched play in college at a dinky little school, Eastern Washington, get that much money guaranteed. Life-changing money. Hobo's brother Ketner Cup is doing well. I think about him. I wonder what he's doing in life. Uh, And man, I'm happy for Cooper Cup. And then Rams D-tackle... Aaron Donald got a three-year, $95 million deal. He is now the highest-paid non-quarterback of all time in the NFL. I think a, a title that was once given to Khalil Mack when he signed his big contract with Chicago. So money is getting thrown around the NFL. A lot of guys are getting paid. Now, there are three people who have not been paid yet that want to be paid that are notable to me. Number one is Bill's safety, Jordan Poyer. He wants a new contract. I'm not sure that Jordan Poyer is going to get a new contract. He's 31 years old. He's scheduled to make $10.8 million this fall. He will also attend mandatory minicamp, but he is not in the top 10 highest paid safeties in the NFL, which did surprise me. And I think his market value is worth around $14 million a year, but he's really close to his market value. And guys like Teran Matthew and Marcus Williams both make $14 million a year. And I, He's a. I, I don't know. It's. It's. I would have thought he would be one of the top ten highest paid safeties. I think he wants to be, but he's close to his market value. He's also thirty one years old. I'm skeptical he's going to get paid, but I hope he does. For his sake, you only have so many years making money, and when you're making ten a year, a four million dollar difference makes a big deal compared to like a, a quarterback who makes thirty five and could have gotten forty. So that's a important three to four million dollar difference for Jordan Poyer. I hope he gets it, but I'm not sure that he will. Now, there are two guys that are getting paid so far off of their market value that I would say they are, it's almost criminal how much they deserve to be paid. They are receivers Terry McLaurin in Washington and Debo Samuel with the 49ers. Debo Samuel is scheduled to make $3.9 million this fall. And compared to his market value, he is getting completely screwed. I mean, he's a receiver. Receivers are making more money than ever in the NFL. He also not only is a receiver, he runs the ball too like a running back. And on the open market, he's probably looking at making 22 to $24 million a year in yearly salary. And remember, this guy last year, Debo Samuel, 77 catches for 1,405 yards, six touchdown catches, plus he ran the ball 
59 times for another eight touchdowns plus 365 yards. He's getting a ton of touches. The 49ers were leaning on him heavily to run their offense, scoring touchdowns, getting yards, getting hit a lot. That's a guy who should get paid. And Debo Samuel is ridiculously underpaid. It's frustrating. I I will say it does seem like they're going to figure out a deal. But for him to get paid $3.9 million when his market value is like 22 to 24, it's such a large discrepancy. It's basically a $20 million difference in what he would get paid if he was a free agent compared to what he's getting paid now. And I, I think here's another thing. Not only does it seem to me like the 49ers are going to try to figure out a deal. He is attending mandatory minicamp. Uh, the 49ers do not want to trade him. They want to keep him. And if you don't work out a deal, he's going to leave your football team. Like, you have to figure out a way to keep that, not only pay him the money he wants, but keep that relationship good. Because if you lose the guy that, I mean, I, I just don't think, how do I even put this? The 49ers don't want to lose him. And you give him the money he wants so he stays. But if you let him leave, that's a huge loss to you. And I just think their offense is so dependent on him. They got to figure out a way to pay this guy. But he really very clearly deserves to be paid. He should be making $20 million a year more than what he's making now. Uh, in Washington, Terry McLaurin is not attending mandatory minicamp. And unlike Debo Samuel, unlike Jordan Poyer, my outsider's perspective is that it appears like the negotiations are not going well with Washington. There's even a weird report that apparently Washington is totally ignoring all of the high amounts of money receivers have been given this offseason. They're like, we are not going to participate in the high market value of receivers. Like, we're just not going to pay them. We don't want to. Also, here's some, I think this might put you on Terry McLaurin's side. He was a third round pick in 2019. A first round pick gets a lot of money, a bigger contract. A third round pick does not get a very big contract. And with a much smaller rookie contract, Terry McLaurin is going to make $2.7 million this fall. If it was you or me, that's great. I'll take $2.7 million. That sounds amazing. But when you realize that for a receiver like Terry McLaurin, his market value is like 18 to $21 million. And he's going into year four where he's had back-to-back 1,000-yard receiving seasons. And he has never had a stable quarterback situation. He's had at one point like four different quarterbacks throwing him the ball and still got to 1,000 yards receiving. Terry McLaurin deserves to be paid. He should be paid. And Washington has to figure this out because the sooner they get him to camp, the sooner he can work with their new quarterback, Carson Wentz. And because he's not going to minicamp, because of the reports you're hearing about Washington, it seems like negotiations are going very badly. And I just don't understand why Washington appears to be the only team in the NFL that doesn't value receivers. I mean, they, they do value receivers enough that they drafted um, the guy to Penn State, Jahan Dotson, in the first round. But they are unwilling to pay Terry McLaurin. And if I was Washington, you've got this new quarterback, Carson Wentz, who you got to give him support and get him in a situation where he can be successful because, wow, uh, Carson's been good in the past. He's had good years and... Uh, 2017 probably could have won the NFL MVP if he hadn't gotten hurt, uh, like right at the end of the year. But he's had some bad years in a row. You got to give a really good situation to Carson Wentz so he can have every opportunity he can to do well. 
And for some reason, they're screwing around and don't want to pay Terry McLaurin, who Terry McLaurin on the field makes your quarterback better, makes your football team better, makes it easier for you to win. If I'm Washington, I'm like, pay him what he wants now. Get him the money. And, and honestly, the longer you wait, the more his market value is going to go up. And unless Washington wants to lose him when his contract is up and they, they want to cheap out, not give him money this year and let him walk away at some point or franchise tag him, which then he's unhappy too. I don't know why Washington has such a strong aversion to taking care of players, paying them what they're worth, and making them happy and making them want to stay, ingratiating yourself to the player and making them want to fight hard for your organization and stick around. For some reason, Washington doesn't want to do that at all. And look, they want to save money, but do they not want to win? Uh, I, we, I know Washington is not the best run franchise, but it's, it's infuriating to watch. And uh, if I'm Washington, I'm figuring this out as soon as possible to get Terry McLaurin back in my building and get him paid and get him working with Carson Wentz. Okay, it's hot. I'm going to open the door real quick. We can do this now. Oh, man, we have no fan in the show. This is the version of the fan as I open the door to the great outdoors, let the cool air come in. We keep recording. We talk over it. We close the door. Back, we're going again. Um, I'm going to drink some water, then I'm going to ask a very simple question. Uh, by the way, I left my water bottle in Tacoma, Washington two days ago. I don't need it, but I am sad. I had this awesome pink water bottle that fit perfectly in my cup holder. These fit perfectly too, but I do miss the water bottle. Um, I want to ask a simple question. What are the Bears doing? What are the Chicago Bears doing to help their young second-year quarterback, Justin Fields? I look at Jacksonville with Trevor Lawrence, and they hired an offensive head coach, Doug Peterson, who played quarterback in the NFL, who's won a Super Bowl. He knows how to work with quarterbacks. They also brought in... Uh, receiver Christian Kirk from Arizona. They traded for Zay Jones from the Raiders. He's a good receiver. Whether you agree that it's going to work or not, the one thing we can all agree on is that clearly Jacksonville is trying to support their young quarterback, Trevor Lawrence. The New York Jets, they drafted receiver Garrett Wilson. They brought in tight end CJ Uzama. They're building their offensive line. They're building their defense. They're supporting their young quarterback, Zach Wilson. And then Miami, man. Miami has, to support their young quarterback, Tua, they got a new offensive head coach, Mike McDaniel. They get traded for a new star receiver, Tyreek Hill. They, you know, Jalen Waddell and Tyreek Hill is a great offensive dynamic duo. I can't wait to see. They're going to run the ball well because that's what Mike McDaniel does well as a coach. And you look at Miami. Miami's clearly trying to support their young quarterback, trying to help him, put him in a position to do well and succeed. So I ask you one more time, what are the Chicago Bears doing to support their young quarterback, Justin Fields? Because these are the three biggest things the Chicago Bears did this offseason. They traded away Khalil Mack, their star defensive player, which he was expensive, whatever, but automatically overnight now your defense got worse, whether... You like the trade or not, the defense isn't better after trading away Khalil Mack. They also, another noteworthy move that happened with the Bears offseason is they lost stud receiver Allen Robinson. So your receiving core is worse, your defense is worse, and they hired a defensive head coach, Matt Eberflus, who seems like a good leader. He was the Colts defensive coordinator. People like him. 
But I'm not sure yet how hiring Matt Eberflus directly helps and benefits their young quarterback, Justin Fields. You look at Mike McDaniel, you go, yeah, I get why Miami hired him to help their young quarterback. Doug Peterson, I get why the Jaguars hired him to help Trevor Lawrence. And the Jets, they got Mike LaFleur, Matt LaFleur's brother, worked with Kyle Shannon as their offensive coordinator. Uh, They drafted a stud receiver. They're building the offensive line. They're getting their defense better. Every other team, I can point to how they made moves to help their young quarterback, except Chicago. I don't know what's going on here. I'm rooting for Justin Fields. I want him to do well. Also, in fairness to Chicago, they had limited cap space. I'm sure that didn't help them in their pursuit to make moves and help their young quarterback. And I I like Darnell Mooney, their number one receiver, but while he is awesome, I I wish they had more. Uh, A lot of NFL teams drafted receivers. A lot of teams made moves to go get a receiver. The Bears did not. All they did was lose their number one receiver. And in fairness to Chicago, I'm trying to like be as objective as I can. They did hire Luke Getze, who's, uh, uh, I think, an intriguing offensive coordinator who worked before as the Packers quarterback coach in Green Bay. He was the passing game coordinator with Aaron Rodgers. He's known for RPOs, which I think is a great fit with Justin Fields. I'm not trying to say that it's all bad in Chicago, but here is what I am saying. It does still seem like Justin Fields is the least supported young quarterback in the NFL. There's no top receiver. There's a weaker offensive line. They don't have a top-notch defense. They hired a defensive head coach. I am worried that Justin Fields could struggle, and it may not even be his fault. It might be the lack of support around him. So I guess the most definitive thing I can say here is that if Justin Fields isn't a home run success this year, if Trevor Lawrence pops off and is awesome, and Zach Wilson looks really good, and Mac Jones is great, and... Kenny Pickett starts for Pittsburgh and does really well. I am begging you now, remember this conversation we just had, and remember that I told you the Bears didn't do a good enough job supporting Justin Fields this offseason, especially not compared to every other team around the NFL. And if Justin Fields isn't incredible this year, don't bail on the guy. Give it another year so they can really build some pieces around him and support him the way they probably should have this offseason. They did the best they could. It was a tough cap situation. They got rid of Killing Mack, who was expensive. But certainly, I I wish the Bears had done more to support their young quarterback. And you got to remember that going into this year. As we see, I hope they do well. Maybe they'll do the best they can with what they got. But certainly, they could have done more to support their young quarterback, especially compared to everyone else. And remember that as you watch the Bears this year. Okay, um, an NFL quarterback that I love has retired. Ryan Fitzpatrick is done in the NFL. After 17 years and being a part of nine NFL teams, he was with the Rams, Cincinnati, Buffalo, Tennessee, Houston, the Jets, the Buccaneers, the Dolphins, and Washington. Nine NFL teams, 17 years. Ryan Fitzpatrick's time in the NFL has come to an end. He announced his retirement. And I, I will say it's kind of interesting. The longest amount of time he was with any team in the NFL was the four years he spent with the Buffalo Bills. He was from 2009, 10, 11, all the way until 2012. He spent four years in Buffalo. And every other team he was with, he was there for only two years or even less. Pretty crazy that somehow he made it to 19 years in the NFL, 
on, or sorry, 17 years in the NFL with nine different franchises. That's ridiculous. And as we look at his career and his legacy, first of all, certainly the best year of his career was in 2015 with the New York Jets. He was throwing to uh, Brandon Marshall in his prime. He had Eric Decker, Sheldon Richardson on that defensive line. They had, I mean, the Jets at that period, by the way, I think they were coached by Todd Bowles. Their secondary had Antonio Cromartie and Darrell Rivas on the same football team on opposite sides of the field guarding receivers. That is unbelievable. And that 2015 season, he threw for 3,905 yards, 31 touchdown passes, 15 interceptions. The team went 10-6. and That was a good year. And the next year in 2016 with the Jets, they were not as good. He had 12 touchdowns and 17 interceptions. Took a step backward. The team did as well. And... I, it's just kind of sad. I'm like, huh? Like his his noteworthy best year didn't have much payoff. It's like oh, it's just kind of sad. And all in all, Ryan Fitzpatrick's career numbers are: he threw for thirty four thousand nine hundred and ninety yards, two hundred twenty three touchdowns, one hundred and sixty nine interceptions. Nice. Um, and I think I, I hope that what's remembered about Ryan Fitzpatrick is, and there's a lot of stuff I want to talk about here. But first of all, that he was a seventh round pick in two thousand five out of Harvard. He monumentally exceeded any expectation of him coming into the NFL. Think of how many people like Ryan Fitzpatrick are a seventh round pick out of a tiny school and they never do anything in the NFL. Not only did this guy hang around for a long time, he put up a lot of yards, a lot of touchdowns, won a certainly a decent amount of games. And um, even though Ryan Fitzpatrick is not one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, Certainly, you got to respect and admire the career he had, especially when you look at the context of where he came from. Here's another cool thing. Uh, Spotrack.com, a a great website. Check it out if you want, if you're interested in NFL salaries and the way players are paid, yada, yada. Uh, Spotrack.com estimated that Ryan Fitzpatrick's career earnings were a little over $82 million. Good for the man from Harvard. That's pretty dang cool. And I don't know, man. I, I, I love it. Fitz was known for his beard. He was known for, he was really funny. Look, like, look up Ryan Fitzpatrick, funniest moments. He's hilarious in interviews and talking to teammates and on the sideline. And he got this nickname, Fitz Magic, during a three-game stretch to start the 2018 season when he was playing with Tampa. He played three games against New Orleans, Philadelphia, and Pittsburgh. And he threw for over 1,200 yards, over 1,200 yards and some change, and 11 touchdown passes. It was unbelievable. It was like 400-yard game after 400-yard game, just shredding teams and throwing a ton of touchdowns. And I think it's kind of sad to me that the last three teams Ryan Fitzpatrick played on, Tampa, Miami, and Washington— Here's the story of how things went down. In Tampa, they always had Jameis Winston. The guy, the quarterback they picked with the number one overall pick who they really wanted to be their franchise quarterback. And then in Miami, a second to last team, they had Tua, a quarterback they picked in the you know top five. And Miami is still hoping that Tua can be their guy. But if it was ever close, they were going to give the opportunity to Tua because they wanted, they were invested in Tua. And the politics of the quarterback position often hurt Ryan Fitzpatrick. 
there were usually more attractive options at quarterback that teams were more invested in. And guys that probably got more of a real shot than Ryan Fitzpatrick. Tampa had Jameis. Tua was in Miami. Then last year in Washington, he finally had a team behind him. A playoff team, the Washington football team, who really was only missing a quarterback, called in Ryan Fitzpatrick to be their guy. They had a good defense, a coach I like, Ron Rivera, a stud receiver, Terry McLaurin. I was so excited to see what could possibly go down. Like, hey, this could be the year that finally a team believes in Ryan Fitzpatrick, he gets support, and he reaches his potential as a quarterback. And then in game one, he got hurt and didn't play the rest of the year. And I just want to say that we never really got to see Ryan Fitzpatrick on a truly good team that also wanted him to be their quarterback. I thought he had a great roster around him in Tampa. But he was on a really short leash because the team ultimately was hoping that Jameis Winston would be their guy. And I will always wonder what could have been, what would have been if he had been on a team that wanted him and built around him. Because I'm not saying Ryan Fitzpatrick would have been the greatest quarterback of all time or anything like that. But I, I, I will always believe he was capable of more than we saw. And he never really quite got a team to fully invest in him. And that makes me disappointed. So Ryan Fitzpatrick, you had a great career. Thank you for the years of entertainment. I hope he has a great rest of his life enjoying being a dad. And I, I would love to see Ryan Fitzpatrick around football again. I think he'd be an interesting mind to... Gosh, whether he wants to do a podcast or um, analyze games. He went to Harvard. He's very intelligent. Uh, Maybe he'll coach football someday. I don't know. But that's a guy who knows the game really well and I think could do something if he wanted to with some kind of post-playing career in the game of football. Okay. uh, From one Ryan to another, I had to take my glasses off for this story. I feel like... Well, the sun, it is bright, and I, I do want to wear the sunglasses. It would be inappropriate to wear sunglasses for this story. It's just not a good look, and I do want to look good, if you know what I'm saying. That's not how I mean that, but I don't want to... Uh, I got to open it. It's hot in here. It is. Uh, I don't want to... I just, I just don't think this story would be a, a good look with sunglasses on. We'll say it that way. So I got to start here by saying this. The suicide hotline is 1-800-273-8255. Again, the suicide hotline, if you're having trouble, please go get help. The suicide hotline is 1-800-273-8255. I want to talk about Ryan Day, the head coach at Ohio State. He's heading into his fourth year at Ohio State. And I learned something about Ryan Day that gave me a new appreciation for him and made me uh, gave me new love for the guy, a coach who I never knew that much about. And I knew he's won a lot of games, but I also felt like he kind of inherited a good program. And here's something that I didn't know about Ryan Day until this last week and that I think might give you the same new appreciation for him. When Ryan Day was eight years old, his father committed suicide. His dad was 31. Ryan was eight. And that really, really obviously was a hard thing for Ryan Day as a child. Now, as head coach at Ohio State, Ryan Day has made mental health a priority. For example, 
he upgraded the support for the football team at Ohio State. He, you know, there were once three part-time staff positions that he made into four, four full-time mental health professionals that were hired to help assist the football program. And also there's a lot of video out there of Ryan Day. I didn't know this speaking very openly and honestly and, and telling people that if they're struggling, they need to go get help. And he even told the story about how for a long time during his life, his father committed suicide and he suppressed it and held it down. And then one time he was visiting a high school and learned about the problems they were having with students um, taking their own life. And was like, I got to deal with this and I got to speak up with this. I got to do something I, I can to help this cause out. And I just had no idea that Ryan Day had this side to him. And I, I watched a video where he talked about a process that I know well, which is that when someone in your life commits suicide, you go through a process of you're kind of you're in pain and you're numb and that turns into anger. And eventually, hopefully you grow enough where you reach a point of empathy where you just want people to get help. And one guy that Ryan Day helped was Ohio State lineman Harry Miller, an offensive lineman at OSU. Before the 2021 season, he reached out to Ryan Day and got help. And Harry Miller says that Coach Day and the Ohio State staff saved his life with the support they built, the help they gave him. And A, I saw a video of Harry Miller being interviewed. And I just appreciate how open and honest Harry Miller was about his struggles. And um, I think he shares because he wants to help other people. That's pretty cool. And then B, Ryan Day said something I loved, which is that vulnerability is part of good leadership. And I, that quote right there, on top of all the other stuff I, I learned about the guy, made me really love him because I totally agree. I think when you good leadership and when you, you can't expect other people to open up and be vulnerable and get to a deeper level if you don't do it yourself. And man, have I gained respect and admiration for Ryan Day as a leader and as a football coach. You may know uh, suicide is a very important topic to me. My brother committed suicide in 2016. February 8, 2016, I found my brother. And I'm still very much messed up from it. And my brother, I think, in his passing, left a wake of destruction behind that the people who loved him had to deal with his friends, his family, me, my mom, my brother, my dad. And so I, I want to encourage you, man, if you're struggling, please go get help um, and, and go get professional help. Go see a counselor. I wish my brother had. The Suicide Hotline is 1-800-273-8255. The Suicide Hotline, again, one 800 273-8255. If you're struggling, go get help. And as someone myself who struggled and had a lot of hard times and had thoughts myself about suicide, um, I know that sometimes it feels like you're not worth helping or you're not worth saving. And I'll, I'll I understand that. I hope Take my word for it. If that's what it takes, I hope you, even if you believe that, just listen to Zach and go get men, go get professional help. It, it goes so far. And I just, I don't want the world to lose more people like we lost my brother. And so if you're struggling, 
The Suicide Hotline, 1-800-273-8255. Please go get help. And, uh, man, if you're a football fan, next time you look at Ryan Day, I hope you look at him a little bit differently with a little more, not only empathy, but also admiration for being so open and honest and vulnerable about something that's really hard to talk about. And, uh, again, if you're out there and you're having a hard time, don't do what my brother did. Please don't. My brother suffered in silence and never told anyone. I am begging you, go get help. Okay. Um, heavy topic. I think we handled it well. And I think as a, as a reward, we'll put the sunglasses on. And we are going to pull up the, the Zoom PodTrack P4 thing I'm recording on. And we're going to hit number C. What, what sound does C make? I don't know, but we'll find out. Oh, that's it. So you hold it, it's an applause. What? We have an applause button now. Listen to this. So if you hold down C, hey, that segment went well. <laughs> Woo, yeah, applause, yeah. Wow. I, again, for all I know, I'm hitting a button and you're not even hearing anything, which would be hilarious to me. If you couldn't hear the noises I'm hearing in my ear, oh my goodness, I would laugh so hard. Uh, we're going to shift now to... Ask Zach. We are going to answer questions on Patreon. You go to patreon.com forward slash Zach Schaumler if you want to support the show on Patreon. You give a dollar a month. That gives you access to submit questions on Patreon to Strong Opinion Sports. Uh, it, also, that dollar a month, it gets you a lot of stuff. So you can support questions to this podcast. You also get early access, a week early to my other podcast, Zach Schaumler Talking. And you can write into that show as well. Patreon.com forward slash Zach Schaumler. You give a dollar a month. That's $12 a year. And uh, you can give more if you want to. Please do. It does literally help pay for my truck and everything we do here. Uh, but Patreon.com forward slash Zach Schaumler if you want to submit questions to the show. Question number one today comes from Leon. Leon says, hey, Zach, how excited are you for new additions to the SEC? First of all, I want to say I love the SEC so much. Uh, they've got the best athletes. Recently, they've had the best quarterbacks. And in 2025, they are getting Oklahoma and Texas uh, added to their conference, which is cool, but they don't need them, honestly, because I I already probably watch more SEC football than any other conference in college football. I love them. Their games are good. They're competitive. They're interesting. They're fun. Uh, I grew up in Oregon. I should be a Pac-12 fan, and I'm not because... Sorry, I love football, and I can acknowledge who's got the best college football in the country. That's the South. Um, I think if we're talking about new additions to the SEC, actually, there's two that I think are noteworthy we could talk about. Maybe three. Um, One went to South Carolina. Spencer Rattler went to South Carolina, a new quarterback out of Oklahoma. He's going to be a home run, and I cannot wait to watch him play in the SEC against better football teams and better Teams challenging him and competitions are what I'm looking for. And I, I think that's going to be really interesting and fun. And then look at LSU. They hired head coach Brian Kelly from Notre Dame. They have a new starting quarterback from Arizona State, Jaden Daniels. That feels like a home run as well. And I, I got to say, if the SEC was the only way to watch college football, I'd be totally satisfied because it is so, so good. Logan writes in and says, hey, Zach, it's been a while since I've been in the file, but I'm back to make you smile. 
I'll try not to make the question too vile. I was in Indianapolis this past week wearing my Jags windbreaker, and every 20 minutes I'd pass a stranger who said, Trevor Lawrence isn't the guy, is he? I'm so tired of hearing this ignorance. What is your outlook on him going into this season? Security is here. We will see if they... And we'll find out. I don't know. Uh, I don't understand... Logan continues, says, I don't understand how people can already declare him a disappointment when he had one of the worst O-lines in the league. I think we're fine. I don't know. (laughs) Security is, like, right there, stopping, clearly, like, checking me out, trying to be like, what is this guy doing recording a podcast in his truck in a parking lot? And I'm like, well, nothing wrong. I'm just sitting here talking. Um, Logan continues and says, I don't understand how people can already declare Trevor Lawrence a disappointment when he had one of the worst offensive lines in the league. Every one of our starting receivers would have been a number three receiver on any other team. And the head coach was Urban Liar. How much do you think the additions of uh, Brandon Sheriff, Christian Kirk, Zay Jones, Evan Ingram, and et cetera can help Trevor Lawrence out? Blessings from Duval Logan. Uh, Logan, I I will say, like, I definitely want to watch Trevor Lawrence's film and um, see how last year went and what he needs to work on, what's good, what's bad. Uh, but last year with Urban Meyer was a disaster and was certainly not Trevor Lawrence's fault at all. Like if anyone in Indianapolis, if they really think that Trevor Lawrence is the reason why the Jacksonville Jaguars had trouble last year, uh, they could not be more wrong. In fact, uh, if you're in Indianapolis, it's kind of interesting to hear anybody talk about talk smack, excuse me, about the Jaguars because didn't they beat them week 18 at the end of the year? Yeah, they did. So, um, I think true judgment begins this fall with Doug Peterson and a better supporting cast. Currently, there's no reason at all to... Um, I just think it's unfair to doubt Trevor Lawrence at this point based on the situation he was in last year. And uh, I don't know, man. I, I, in fact, if anything, I think you've had a lot of reasons to believe in Trevor Lawrence and be excited about his future. So um, I, I'm with you. I think it's kind of weird anyone doubts Trevor Lawrence currently at this point. Update on security. They drove away. They looked at me. They were like, what's this guy doing? They probably saw a bunch of like recording equipment and my tripod probably looks like I'm about to shoot somebody with like a, but I probably look because a tripod does look very much like a gun. When you pull it out, you're like, what is that like long barrel looking thing? So I don't blame them being worried or concerned, but I think once they saw like, I'm just like a college looking kid recording a podcast, wearing sunglasses, they were like, ah, it's all good. They drove away. Uh, But Logan, I hope I answered your question about Trevor Lawrence. I I'm not worried. I would love to, um, do a film analysis on him. It's one of my goals to do this next couple weeks. Um, and by the way, I know you guys want film analysis. I've been working on it. I'm going to the beach for my mom's wedding this weekend. I think that's going to give me a lot of time to watch the film I have on my computer. Uh, film analysis is coming. It's something I, I'm going to spend the next month and a half really focusing on. But also, I've been moving. Like, I don't know if you have ever tried to move across an ocean then learn how to do your job entirely differently and also catch up with your family you haven't seen in a year. Holy snikes, it's a lot. It's very overwhelming. So here we are, uh, finally two weeks into post-move, and, and I'm finally recording something. So I'm glad. I'm, I'm grateful for people being um, very patient, and I just want you to know that, yeah, stuff is coming. We just It's been a while. It's been very, very busy, and here we are now. Okay, the next question today comes from Jeffrey. This is one that's political uh, and controversial. If you hate, I, I figure me, myself, I, I'm at the point in my life where I'm just going to say what I believe and, and deal with the consequences. But if you are sensitive to topics about Saudi Arabia, feel free to skip ahead if you want. But let's let's talk about Jeffrey's question. Jeffrey writes in and says, hey, Zach, 
I already posted this in the Zach Schellmer talking thread, but just decided to copy and paste it here instead. What are your thoughts on, that's a, a little plug, go listen to my other podcast, Zach Schellmer talking. Jeffrey says, what are your thoughts on the PGA versus LIV debate? If you don't know what's happening, essentially a new golf league has popped up. LIV Golf, offering loads of prize money and guaranteed contracts to those participating. This includes big names in the sport, such as Phil Mickelson, Dustin Johnson, Bryson DeChambeau, and Patrick Reed. However, the problem people have with this is the league is backed by the Saudi Arabian government, specifically their crown prince, leading the investment. In response, the PGA has banned all those participating in this league from any of their events as long as they participate in the league, including major tournaments they sanction. It's the classic money versus morals argument. What are your thoughts on the situation? I personally don't hold a grudge and understand why the players would make the move for financial reasons, but also probably won't find myself watching any of their events with the knowledge of who backs the league. As someone who watches a lot of golf, I'm also bummed that some of the top players in the world won't be competing against each other anymore. Sorry for the lengthy question. Just want to save you some time researching by laying things out. Hope Truck Life is treating you well. Thank you, Jeffrey. I got a lot to say here. First of all, one of my my favorite sport in the world is football. My second favorite sport is Formula One. Formula One races in Saudi Arabia. And it's a... I'm not going to not watch the race in Saudi Arabia. I love the sport. It's my job to cover sports. Um, and I think in this world, everything's corrupt. Every, there's there's problems with everything. Every piece of recording equipment I'm use, has, using has probably uh, got parts made in China and a lot of stuff that I'm uncomfortable with there goes on too. Uh, it's hard to live a totally moralistic life. You, you pick and choose where you can. Uh, I will probably never watch the LIV simply because I don't like golf very much. Um, but I think to talk bad about Saudi Arabia without first acknowledging that I, I watch sports that have taken place in Saudi Arabia willingly and covered them and made money off of them. Like I, I, I think it'd be disingenuous to not mention that. Um, I think part of that though if you're going to do that, you also have to acknowledge what's wrong with Saudi Arabia. I, I, there's a lot. Saudi Arabia has been using their public investment fund to make all kinds of investments, whether, you know, the most noteworthy ones to me are what's going on in the video game world, uh, where they're they're making notable investments in video game companies to get board seats and get in, just have a little bit of influence and make money off of a lot of games people buy. And remember, uh, <laughs> A lot of Saudi Arabia's money comes from oil drilling, and at some point, oil's going to run dry, and they're going to need alternate income streams to fund a lot of the stuff and the lifestyles they live in the Middle East and Saudi Arabia. Now, here's what you got to know about Saudi Arabia that is important to me. You can decide what to do with this information. Saudi Arabia has vastly different morals than the Western world, we'll say, than Europe and... North America, and even South America. Uh, atheism, which means that uh, atheists don't believe in God. Atheism is illegal in Saudi Arabia. And atheists are branded as terrorists by their laws. They behead people in Saudi Arabia still to this day, like even recently. Um, being gay is punishable by death in Saudi Arabia. Alcohol is not allowed. Uh, and you should know, like, it's one thing to me to be disapproving uh, of people who are gay or 
uh, trans. My brother's trans. I'm very open and welcoming. I don't, I don't really care how you live your life. I'm, I don't, I, are you an interesting person? I don't care who you sleep with. That's a much more interesting. I would rather talk about your beliefs and who you are and the struggle you went through than the people you sleep with. I don't really care about that. Um, but even it's one thing to be like disapproving of the LGBT community. It's another thing to <laughs> have laws that are being gay is punishable by death. That feels like a, an extreme that I am not cool with at all. So those are facts for you to know. Um, and with a little bit of my, my opinion there. So that's what's going on in Saudi Arabia. Now, I cannot blame golfers for taking the money. Dustin Johnson signed a four-year, $125 million contract. I can't blame him. That is life-changing money. I might compromise my morals for $125 million. I'm telling you that now. So if it ever happens, if I ever, if I ever get offered $125 million to sell strong opinion sports to the Saudi Arabian government, I would do it in a heartbeat because I could do a lot of good with that money for myself and for others. Uh, Phil Mickelson got $200 million for golfing in the LIV. Again, I, I don't hate the guy. I don't blame him at all. That's, that's a lot of money. I, I, I don't know that I would say no to that. What is interesting is they're making big investments in the LIV. Uh, and by the way, the LIV, that name is a reference to the Roman numeral for 54 uh, because you play 54 holes in three rounds in these tournaments. Uh, the LIV has paid the top golfers or a lot of them to come play in their league, hoping that what comes along with that is eyeballs that will watch their sport. It probably will work. But it may not. And it'll be interesting to see if that investment pays off. There's a lot of money up front. Will they make their money back over time by building a new league? I don't know. Um, I, I, the PGA Tour, I don't, this is, this is my belief, unfounded without any research. The PGA Tour sounds like they made a moral stand and said, we're banning you from all of our tournaments because we don't like the things that Saudi Arabia stands for. No, it's about money. They feel threatened. There's another league who is challenging them. They don't want to lose their foothold in the golf world. And so they might, I don't know if they are, but it sounds like they're using morals as their reasoning, but they're not banning people, at least entirely, for moral reasons. It's because they don't want to compete with the LIV and they want, you know, they want to make it difficult for you to join the LIV so they don't lose out on their market share with television rights and yada yada. It's sad to see top golfers be separated from each other, from competing against each other and not competing head-to-head. Um, I don't watch golf, but I, I know that in any sport where that happens, it's unfortunate. Uh, I I love Formula One, and there are only 20 drivers in Formula One, and those are not the best 20 drivers in the world. There's probably the top 10 drivers in the world, but there are other drivers and other sports leagues and other racing leagues that I think probably belong in Formula One that don't have financial backing behind them, so they're not there. Um, but even if like you can be the, you can have a lot of the best top talent and still get the biggest market share and the most money and revenue because formula one is the highest tier of motorsport as far as money and investment and, um, sponsorship dollars and branding, even if they're probably only the top, you know, 10 of the best drivers in the world, not only, not solely the very best drivers on the planet driving there. So, um, I don't know. I guess we'll see how this turns out. I don't have much more to say than that. I don't watch golf. Like, it's interesting you ask for my opinion because I don't really watch golf. But the the biggest thing I can say here is that 
you can't, I don't think you can blame people for taking a massive payout and taking life-changing money. Um, what would you do if you got offered, <laughs> you know, $200 million to play golf? I'd be like, I guess I better buy some clubs and figure it out. You know what I mean? Like, or whatever you do at your job, if you got offered to go to a different company for that much money and you hate that company and they're evil, but they're still paying you that much money, I, I probably would still take it. So I don't hate the guys who took the money, but I, it's important to talk about, in my opinion, the realities of Saudi Arabia. Okay, Noah writes in with a question I think is kind of fun. Noah says, hey, Zach, how's your time on the road? Going very well. Seeing friends, seeing family, having a great time. Recently, Noah continues, I was listening to a podcast, the Pick 6 podcast. Hey, don't promote other podcasts on my podcast. Wrong. Just kidding. I don't know. I don't care. Uh, listing out the best quarterbacks of each decade, the 20s, the 2010s, 2000s, etc. If you had to pick, If you had to pick the best quarterbacks of each decade, who would they be and why? To make it harder, you can only pick a quarterback once, meaning if you pick Brady as the best quarterback of the 2010s, for example, you can't pick him for a different era. The eras you have to choose from are as follows, the 80s, 90s, 2000s, 2010s, and 20s. Love to hear your thoughts on it. Hope you enjoy life on the road. Take care, Noah. P.S. If you're down to do something in California, swing by. I'll be in California, I think, in December. And for sure, I'll be in South Let's hang out. I would love to meet you, Noah. We'll get a burger. We'll hang out, throw a football around. That would be really, really fun. Um, I think the best quarterback of the 80s, to me, it's going to be controversial. I guess that's this whole segment, right? Um, to me, Dan Marino is the best quarterback of the 1980s. Here's why. Here's some context that makes you hopefully appreciate Dan Marino a little bit more. In his second year in the NFL, at only 23 years old in 1984... Dan Marino threw 48 touchdown passes in the old NFL with different rules and more physicality and less passing. And then two years later, 1986, he threw 44 touchdown passes. Dan Marino was way, way, way ahead of his time. I think you also, if you're going to talk about the 80s, you have to mention Jill Montana. He won more games. He won more Super Bowls. But Dan, uh, Joe Montana also had a better team around him. I will say Joe Montana was more clutch than Dan Marino. But Dan Marino was more talented. And I think you could argue a better quarterback. So to me, the quarterback of the 80s was Dan Marino. Although, if you say Joe Montana, I will not hate you or belittle you at all. It makes total sense to me how you reach that conclusion. In the 90s, the 90s are probably the era I know the least about in the NFL, actually. I know the 80s pretty well. I was a nerd about this as a kid. I know the 90s a little bit, but this is weak. And so if you argue with me on the, the 90s, I'm not going to get mad at you. I, fair enough. You probably know better than me. Uh, but what I know about the, 80, the 90s, excuse me, uh, I think the best quarterback in that era, I would say John Elway. Um, he, did, you know, he, he peaked at the end, actually. He won two Super Bowls at the end of the 90s. Uh, I think he was a great quarterback throughout the 90s. Steve Young is also another name that comes to mind. Um, but one guy I want to give a shout-out to, I don't think this is the best quarterback of the 90s, but certainly deserves recognition, and I think to this day doesn't get the recognition he deserves, actually. Troy Aikman, the former Dallas Cowboys quarterback, had so many good teammates and was on such talented football teams. I think often people forget him and don't give him respect or, or credit um, man, <laughs> Troy Aikman 
was still incredible. Through a lot of touchdown passes, his teams were so good he never really needed to play from behind or be clutch or whatever. But um, I think Troy Aikman deserves a shout-out when we talk about quarterbacks of the 90s. Now, how about the 2000s? I'd go Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning was the best quarterback of the 2000s. He was dominating. He was shredding people. Uh, prolific offenses. Marvin Lewis, Reggie Wayne, Dallas Clark, uh, Joseph Adai running the ball. Well, like Just prolific, crazy good Colts football teams. And, and frankly, uh, more prolific offenses than Tom Brady played on other than that 2007 season. So I'd go Peyton Manning, the quarterback of the 2000s. Tom Brady, a close second. The 2010s is where I will give credit to Tom Brady. Uh, I think Tom Brady was the best quarterback of the 2010s, won a lot of Super Bowls, was incredible. Uh, I think did a lot with limited receivers around him. People don't realize Tom Brady did so well with very average talent at the receiving position. It's unbelievable to me. Now, a close second in the 2010s is going to be Aaron Rodgers. And then so far in the 2020s, it's very early. We're at 2022 only. So far, the quarterback of the 2020s, though, is Aaron Rodgers. He's won two MVP awards. Uh, I think a close second is Patrick Mahomes, who, when the 2020s are over, probably will end up being the quarterback for the 2020s. But I would think that Herbert, Josh Allen, and Patrick Mahomes are likely, when we look back in like 2035 on the 2020 years, uh, one of those three is going to be the best quarterback from this era of the NFL. Okay, I'm going to read two questions back-to-back, Josh and Donovan. Josh writes in and says, hey, Zach, congrats on the move. Hope you're doing well. I am. Thank you. There's a lot of discussion on how neck and neck the AFC West will be this year. However, Vegas odds have the Raiders as the lowest chance to win the division. This seems weird to me. Hunter Renfro is one of the best route runners in the league and carried them, uh, carried the team last year. Devontae Adams is probably the best wide receiver in the NFL. And Darren Waller basically has to be double teamed at all times. I seriously don't know how teams will guard these three guys. I think that drafting Samir White adds some fresh talent to the running back room that already has Josh Allen. Here's a point I'm trying to make. On paper, this offense looks like an extremely explosive team at every position by putting them... And putting them in fourth place feels almost criminal, especially compared to the Broncos, who seem to have a lot of question marks. Here's my question. Do you think everyone is sleeping on this team, the Raiders? And what could hold the Raiders back this upcoming year? So there's that. I'm going to open the door. It's really hot. Okay. Donovan writes in and says, Hey, Zach. As a Broncos fan, I've been surrounded by so much hype going into this season. Everyone is talking about how this year we'll do this, this year we'll do that, and so on. I don't think we're going to be as good as people expect this year. I think an 11-win season is shooting for the stars. It's possible, yes, but I think it's unlikely. This team is really good on paper, but it's still year one with Russ and Hackett, and I don't think this team will be dangerous until year two, maybe even year three. But I can't share this opinion among others because I get constant hate. Do you think Broncos fans are ignoring the fact that this is year one? Lot to say here, a lot to break down, a lot to talk about. Um, I will say it is weird. Everyone is counting out the Raiders and betting on Denver. Between you and me, I think it's going to be Kansas City or L.A. anyway. The Chargers with Justin Herbert and Kansas City with Mahomes. Uh, probably the two best teams in that division, although it is really close. Um, what I find weird is the reasoning behind why people count out the Raiders. And it's like a... 
it's a lack of logic to me because people say, well, the Raiders have a new head coach, Josh McDaniels. So does Denver. Denver has a new head coach, Nathaniel Hackett, who, by the way, has never been a head coach before. At minimum, at least, Josh McDaniels has been a head coach before. It didn't go well. He was actually the coach of the Denver Broncos. It didn't go very well. But I would assume he learned a lot of lessons there. And at minimum, when day one comes around, McDaniels has fewer things to learn because he's done the job before than Nathaniel Hackett. Also, you got a quarterback who's been in that building before. So you have a new coach and a new quarterback, whereas in the Raiders, you've just got a new coach and a quarterback who knows the building and knows the room. Um, also, you know, who's got a bigger impact, Devontae Adams or Russell Wilson? I think it's a legitimate question. I think Devontae Adams, at least this year, is going to make a bigger impact than Russ will in Denver. Um, I think Denver's got a lot more to build on and, and work and change to become a winning football team. Denver's going to be good. They're going to be interesting. They're going to be fun. But I'm more excited about Denver two years from now than I am about them this next year, where the Raiders, I think, could start immediately next year really good and really fun. And frankly, I think the Raiders are moving to an offensive system with Josh McDaniels that is going to better fit their quarterback, Derek Carr, than the former system with John Gruden. So um, I tentatively would say I think the Raiders are going to finish ahead of the Denver Broncos this year. Donovan, I agree with you. Two, three years from now is the most exciting thing to think about with Denver. And Josh, I agree with you. It's weird that people are counting out the Raiders, but using the same arguments um, that they have against the Raiders and ignoring that those same arguments apply to also the Denver Broncos. Josh, Donovan, I hope I did your questions justice. Thanks for asking similar things. It was fun to talk about, and uh, I wish you all very, very well. I never know how to say this name. I got to message this guy on Patreon. You... H-R-Y-E. I'm going to say Uriah, or I think it's Uriah, probably not Uriah. But dude, uh, Uriah, Uriah, however you say your name, feel free to send me a message. It, maybe it doesn't bother you because you haven't to this point. Um, but if you want me to say your name properly, I'd, I'd love to. I should probably ask you for a pronunciation. So anyway, he writes in and says, or he or she, I don't even know. I, I would assume it's a he because it's a sports podcast and most of my audience is male. says, hi, Zach. I was wondering what makes a person interesting or fascinating to you. Like, what is it about a person that makes you want to keep listening to them, keep talking to them, keep learning new things about them, etc.? Oh, this is fun. This is the kind of stuff I love talking about. Almost everyone has an interesting story to tell or a perspective that, man, if you know how to find it, you can get really interesting stuff out of them. I love hearing about the hardest thing people have ever been through, their hopes their dreams. Um, I, I love hearing what people will do in an apocalypse. Would you want some people, my friend Jose, we went to, uh, we got gumbo yesterday. He was my center in middle school. We've been friends for years. I got to see him and catch up. I said, Hey, would you want to survive an apocalypse? He said, no, <laughs> he's like, I don't want to, he's like, the world's going to be awful. I don't want to survive that. And I get it. And I ask a lot of people that I'm like, would you want to survive an apocalypse? A lot of people say, no, if they say yes, I say, what would you do in an apocalypse? What are your thoughts? That's always a fun conversation. Um, I love asking people, what do you believe happens when you die? It's amazing the answers you get that are different and varied from people. Um, I love listening to people much more than I love talking myself. Um, I, I love, I need to interview more people. I love hearing their stories. I love talking. Man, there's so much fascinating storytelling to be had throughout the world. And uh, 
certainly I want to tell more stories. Again, if you're ever like not sure what to talk about, ask someone about the hardest thing they've ever been through and you'll learn a lot about them. Everyone has got something. And if you don't have something, you're probably not very interesting. But even if that doesn't work, then what are your hopes? What are your dreams? What do you want out of life? Apocalypse. There's always fun stuff there. What do you believe happens when you die is interesting. But hearing what people believe and why they believe what they believe. Oh, man, I love it. And I think I'm a pretty good I think I'm pretty good at asking questions, but those are a lot of things that I'm interested in and um, I love asking about. Nick writes in with one that I think a lot of people will know the answer to, but it'll be fun anyway. Nick says, hey, Zach, if you had to pick an NFL team to cheer for based on your favorite players, not on where you lived or where you were from, who do you think you'd cheer for? I'm from Canada and picked the Cowboys just from my love of Tony Romo. Been a Cowboys fan ever since. Um, let's start here, Nick. I'll never pick a favorite team. Happily, I don't want to pick a favorite team. If I did pick a favorite team, it would be because of the people, sure. Um, but I'd rather root for people anyway. For example, I'm a Joe Burrow fan. I'm not a Bengals fan. If Joe Burrow ever left Cincinnati and went to another team, I would follow him and be a fan of him there. Say Joe Burrow goes to the Patriots someday. That'd be a dream come to. That'd be really fun. Uh, I would love to root for Joe Burrow on the Patriots because I love Joe Burrow. Or if Joe Burrow went to the Giants, then I'd root for Joe Burrow on the Giants. I root for people, not teams. I hate teams. I think that it's weird people blindly give their support to an organization that's not a person. Um, And I like too many players to just pick one. So, like, I love Josh Allen. I love, I love, love, love Jalen Hurts. Uh, Lamar Jackson, I love him. I love Tua. I love, as I say, Justin Herbert, Josh Allen, Joe Burrow, Zach Wilson. I really like him. Um, there are so many compelling people around the NFL that I, I can't pick one to root for. I like them all. And I, I, there are a lot of times where I'll talk about a game and I'm like, man, I hope both these people do well. And then one of their teams will win, but I, I want the people to do well. I like people in sports, not teams. And I'll never have a favorite team, and I can't answer your question other than to say that I have lots of people I like and root for, and I'll never, um, I'll never have a, a, a thing I choose other than people. I heard a noise in my ear. I think I just hit the cord, but let's double-check that everything's plugged in. I recorded Zach Schaumler talking the other day, and for the entire recording session, I could not hear myself in my own ears, and that was pretty rough. Uh, we're all good, though. I checked it. We're all recording. It's all good. And the next question today comes from... Christopher, who says, if you're ever going through Philly, come see me. Christopher, let's do it. Who is your pick for this year's Bengals? What team do you think will come out of nowhere? I pick the Giants. The Giants. That's a weird one to pick. I guess you believe in Daniel Jones. Um, I think there are four teams I want to talk about that could come out of nowhere and be really good this year. Number one is the Minnesota Vikings. They've got a new head coach, Kevin O'Connell. He's an offensive coach. Um... They've got a lot of big offensive weapons in Minnesota. You got Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen, Dalvin Cook. Uh, you could get, I think, the best years of Kirk Cousins' career coming up ahead. Plus, Green Bay is weaker, so I think Minnesota could come out of nowhere and maybe even potentially win that division. How about the New Orleans Saints? They got Jameis Winston back at quarterback. Michael Thomas is back. Um, you got Chris Olave at receiver. Alvin Kamara at running back. A good offensive line. A good defense that got better by adding Teran Matthew. Dennis Allen is a guy who failed before as a coach, but he's well-respected. And I think 
could take the lessons he learned as a coach before and be a better head coach here in New Orleans. Certainly, he's a great defensive coordinator. I think the Saints could come out of nowhere and be really, really good this fall. Um, Miami. Miami hired Mike McDaniel to be their new head coach, and he's hoping to get the most out of their young quarterback, Tua. I think it's going to work. Tyreek Hill plus Jalen Waddell at receiver. I don't know how you guard them. They're going to run the ball well. They've got a lot of great players on defense still from the former Brian Flores era. I think Miami could be really good, actually. I don't know they're going to win their division. Buffalo's got a pretty solid handle there. But, man, what what if if Josh Allen got hurt, look, for example, there's a good chance Miami could be the team that won that division. So uh, keep your eye on Washington. And then here's a team that could really come out of nowhere and surprise people. I think a lot of surprise coming out of nowhere has to do with expectation levels. Uh, I think Washington could surprise people. This is the best receiver group Carson Wentz has ever had in his career. He's got Jahan Dotson and Terry McLaurin, two really good receivers. And Jahan Dotson is a jump ball receiver. Like He is fit to work with the strengths of Carson Wentz as a quarterback. And remember, Carson almost won the NFL MVP in 2017 before he got hurt at the end of the year. He is highly capable. They've got a head coach I like, Ron Rivera, well-respected, really good. A good defense, I think, is going to be better if they get offensive support. Um, So the four teams that could come out of nowhere, we'll say, I don't know if that's true or not, but teams that could be good that weren't good last year, the Vikings, New Orleans, Miami, and Washington, all for different reasons and reasons that I find exciting and cool and um, I'm pumped about. I'll add one more, though. Here's an an off-the-cuff one. Maybe the Jaguars. Doug Peterson made some moves. They're building on Trevor Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence could be way better this year with more stability and better weapons around him. Uh, It's very possible that the Jaguars really truly would come out of nowhere. But Tennessee's got Ryan Tannehill at quarterback who is kind of suspect. The Colts are good, but their offensive line, I've watched some Carson Wentz film. They're not as good as I thought they were. Matt Ryan's getting older. It's possible if the Jaguars can put together a really good year, they could truly come out of nowhere and win that division, and shock the world. My ears are ringing. It's, I'm, again, it's so weird using, yeah, it's not the headphones, it's just my ears are ringing. I'm using totally different equipment that I'm not entirely trusting of yet, and uh, I hope it's working. I hear myself in my ears, and I see that it's, you know, we're an hour and whatever into recording, but it's a bit nerve-wracking to record with stuff for the very first time. Uh, Carter writes in and says, the Lions should sign Jimmy G. Sign him to a reasonable deal and give him blowout reps when Goff inevitably has terrible games. If a contender loses their quarterback before the deadline, ship him off for a third. If not the Lions, then the Seahawks could offer him the same deal with the same idea. This happens in hockey, basketball, and baseball. It's time the NFL tries it out. So when you're losing by a lot, you put in your backup quarterback, let him do well, and then trade him away for something valuable. It's a solid idea. On top of that, though, I'm not even certain. Here's what I want to change about your idea. Yeah, maybe you sign Jimmy Garoppolo. When you get him blown out, you trade him away. What about Baker Mayfield? Could Baker Mayfield even maybe win the job in Detroit with the Lions? I think that's possible. Um, And I'm just, I'm waiting to see if and maybe when Jimmy Garoppolo and Baker Mayfield get moved. Because, I, I mean, again, like the Lions could sign Baker or two with that same idea, but like the Lions, Carolina, Seattle, they are all in the market for Baker Mayfield and Jimmy Garoppolo. And I think Baker could even win the starting job at both, you know, at those teams and in those franchises. So I, I will say this. Here's a, a thing that might shock you. 
here is where I really, truly want Baker Mayfield to go play. I want Baker to sit behind Tom Brady in Tampa and sit for a year, learn, watch how it's done, and then take over a year from now and, and play with, I mean, Baker Mayfield throwing to the, some of the weapons they've got in Tampa. Um, that guy, uh, Russell Gage from Atlanta came over. They got Michael Thomas. Or sorry, they got Michael, um, what's it? Mike Evans, excuse me, Mike Evans. You've got Chris Godwin. I mean, you got so many weapons, a good offensive line, a good defense. Try telling me Baker Mayfield in Tampa doesn't at least pique your interest and make you go, huh, that could work. Especially Baker with a year uh, gaining humility and learning some lessons behind Tom Brady. Man, I'll tell you what. And Baker, I love I love Baker. Truly, I'm a big fan. He's got an ego, though. There's not a lot of places you can send Baker Mayfield where he would understand why he's not the starting quarterback. He'd go, yeah, okay, fine, I'll, I'll submit. I think one of those places is Tampa. Baker gets put behind Tom Brady on the depth chart. He goes, fair enough. I don't like it. I want to play, but I get it. He's Tom effing Brady. I don't deserve to play here. Got to wait my turn. That would make sense. And so, man, I want to see Baker Mayfield in Tampa under Tom Brady. That sounds really fun and really interesting. And um, it really excites me. Okay, before we end the show, I want to give a shout out to Manny, E-N-K, and then a great name, you guys can get creative with the names on Patreon, by the way. A lot of you guys have like, my name is Thomas and Logan. I'm like, dude, how about like Mr. Fart Duster? Like you can have fun with that if you want. That's uh, Don't make that name. It's terrible. Some pro- Someone probably will now. Um, but Biggest Dickus is a funny name that I love. Uh, again, Manny, E-N-K, and Biggest Dickus. Shout out to you guys. I've, I moved your questions to the next episode because it's, it's a long show today. Uh, I have them in a save for later folder that we'll do later, but I... I love you guys. I appreciate you. And I'll answer your questions on the next episode whenever that happens. Working on film, a lot of stuff going on. Um, it depends really on when the next Formula One race is because that's the thing right now that I'm... Other other than Formula One, there's nothing I'm keeping up with right now. I've been watching basketball but not covering it. Uh, I was pretty upset that the Warriors won game five. It was a good game for the first half, but I, I really wanted the pressure on the Warriors going into game six and seven. And now it feels like the Warriors are going to win regardless with a three to two lead. Um... We're going to talk about Formula One now. If you don't like Formula One, you can leave. I love you. Thanks for listening. I appreciate you. Uh, If you're interested, let's jump in. On Sunday, we had the Azerbaijan Grand Prix at Baku. And it was not the most exciting race I have ever watched in my entire life. Uh, In fact, the best thing about it was that I got to watch it with my childhood friend, Austin. I got to, you know, we played t-ball together. His dad was a coach. I saw his newborn baby. Uh, He came on last year and talked about the Stanley Cup Finals. So, I, I sat next to him on the couch and we watched the race and that was fun. But the race itself, like there was no sustained drama. It was not very tense or that interesting. All of the drama or excitement came in the form of retirements in, in short bursts because it wasn't sustained. And the biggest story from uh, Baku is that Ferrari had a double DNF. Uh, on lap nine, Carlos Sainz had engine failure and had to retire the car. He was in fourth place. And then on lap 20 of 51, Charles Leclerc had to retire. He was in first place. And so that's a painful loss. And Ferrari keeps missing out on good opportunities. And, you know, Leclerc has had two retirements in the last three races. Both times, by the way, 
he was in first place. Like that is awful. And so for Ferrari to walk away with zero points at Baku and Red Bull getting a one-two finish, um, just the amount of <laughs> the the gap that Red Bull has built now between them and Ferrari is, is really painful if you're a Ferrari fan. Uh, in this race, Max Verstappen won. He got first. Sergio Perez got second. And then around out the podium, George Russell got third for Mercedes. I got a couple things to say. Number one, Ferrari engines really, really struggled this weekend. Um, you know, Joe Glenn Yu uh, had engine failure in his Alfa Romeo. Kevin Magnussen's Haas had engine failure. Uh, both of the Ferraris failed. So that's four Ferrari-powered engines having failure in one race. That's not good. And it's really funny to me how the narrative has shifted because early on in the year, Red Bull was known as the team with an unreliable car. That is slowly shifting towards Ferrari. And by the way, Ferrari, their team principal, Matteo Bonotto, has a... He was like a mechanic. Like he is a... And he's a guy who... They can't have these problems based on who Matteo Bonotto is. And I'm getting... Every week, I'm, I'm more and more skeptical of him. But now, watching this, I'm like, that that's your specialty. Like, you, I believe he built engines for Ferrari before becoming team principal. So it's like, man, oh, man, if you're just Ferrari is just really getting in their own way. And it feels like this is a year where they could have won a lot. They had a lot of things going for them, and they just cannot capitalize. Now, Mercedes. Uh, first of all, this is the worst car Mercedes has had in years their car has an aerodynamic problem there's a ton of bouncing or you know what you call porpoising where it's it's doing this a lot and you see lewis hamilton like bouncing up and down as he drives which looks painful and horrible um it's hurting their drivers lewis hamilton after the race could barely get out of his car because of back pain another thing to talk about though with ferrari another thing we have to talk about is that george russell is massively outperforming lewis hamilton lewis hamilton is a six seven world time world world champion uh and is george a better driver than lewis it's hard to believe that based on other world championships that lewis has won um so is is george a better driver or is he maybe just handling the porpoising problem better uh i don't know if these factors have any i should i'm going to research this actually be really interesting to find out lewis hamilton is five foot eight he's 37 years old uh george russell is 24 and six foot one I don't know if height helps with porpoising or, or maybe just having a younger back, like literally, you know, being 13 years younger helps George Russell handle it better. But certainly Ferrari, or sorry, Ferrari's struggling, but Mercedes is really struggling too. And uh, the fact they're hanging around Ferrari is surprising at all based on how bad their car is. And uh, I don't know. It, it's just, it is, it's been years since I've seen a, a Mercedes car this bad in Formula One. Now, George has finished every race in the top five. That's very impressive. Lewis Hamilton has only finished ahead of George Russell one time this year. It was the very first race of the year in Bahrain. Lewis was third. George was fourth. George has 99 points this year. Lewis has 62. Right now, George is the best Mercedes driver. I also, after this race, want to give a shout out to Daniel Ricciardo. McLaren took a risk with their strategy with Daniel Ricciardo. They started with hard tires. Everyone else was pretty much on mediums. And... Danny Rick stayed out the longest of anyone before taking a pit stop. And it was getting dangerous where like he was going to have to pit because his tires are wearing down. But luckily on lap 33, right about the peak time where you got to take a pit stop, Kevin Magnuson had power failure and that led to a virtual safety car. And Daniel Ricardo was able to take a pit stop without a huge penalty, 
that allowed Danny Rick to get ninth place and a points finish, which, man, if you know what's going on with him, he really, really needed it. By the way, I saw another thing that I've never seen before in Formula One. Uh, Yuki Sonoda had, I mean, maybe the only thing I've ever, this is the thing I saw this weekend that I'd never seen before in Formula One. That's, that's a better way to put that. Um, Yuki Sonoda had a super weird rear wing failure where it like ripped in half. And I don't know if, you know, so half of it went up and half of it didn't move. And and I wonder like, is, is the mechanism to open the DRS more powerful than the force on the, the rear wing itself? Clearly not. Like how did that rip? I'd love to see the moment that it did rip for the first time. Cause almost like one side was jammed down and one side went up. And because of, it's so powerful that it, it opened and ripped the, the, you know, carbon fiber. Like I've never, that's unbelievable to me. And then what's even more hilarious is that they duct taped it together, which led to a lot of great memes on Twitter. And, uh, they told Yuki no more DRS. We just, you know, just try to finish the race. He didn't get any points. He was actually in the points when that happened. Very unlucky for him. But I, I want to see that's, that deserves like a replay or a lot more research. And I, I looked into it. I couldn't find much more, but I want to see if there's video of the first moment it happened and it did a rip because that's really fascinating to me. Now, after the sun, after Sunday's race, here are the standings in Formula One. Uh, we'll start with the team or constructor standings as followed. Uh, Red Bull's in first with 279 points. Then there's a big gap. Then Ferrari's in second with 199 points. Then in third is Mercedes with 161 points. In fourth is McLaren. They have 65 points way down. Uh, Alpine is in fifth with 47 points. Alfa Romeo in sixth with 41 points. Alfa Tauri in uh, seventh with 27 points. Haas is in eighth with 15 points. Aston Martin is in ninth also with 15 points. I think Haas just got there first, so they, they're one position ahead. Uh, and then Williams is in tenth with three points. It's kind of cool. Every team in Formula One right now has points, and that doesn't happen every year. And when the driver standings, you have... Max Verstappen in first with 150 points, and then Sergio Perez in second with 129 points. The two Red Bull drivers are in one and two uh, in the standings, in the driver standings. And, and Sergio Perez right now has not as much pace as Max Verstappen, it seems like, but certainly does have a real chance here, too. Um, I don't know if challenge Max is the right word, but this could lead to some interesting discussions. If they're racing, do you deny Sergio Perez a shot at the world championship? to keep your number one driver, Max Verstappen, ahead. Ah, that's a... I know Sergio Perez has been a saint and a god and the best teammate I've ever seen in my entire life in any sport. I can't believe how egoless he is, but you think he's going to give up a shot at a world title? That That's a lot to ask of anyone, even a really giving great teammate like Sergio Perez. I just, man, I... That's a debate. I we'll see. There, it feels like there's more storyline to be had there between Max and Sergio, and I can't tell if that's because I am building drama up or if there really is something there. But wow, that's shocking to me. In third place in Formula One is Charles Leclerc with 116 points. Then in fourth is George Russell with 99 points. Carlos Sainz is in fifth with 83 points, and Lewis Hamilton is in sixth with 62 points. Uh, Daniel Ricciardo, a fan favorite, 13th with 15 points, and Sebastian Vettel, 14th with 13 points. Seb and uh, Danny Rick are struggling, man, and I'm waiting for Dan Ricardo to come back to what I know he's capable of, or at least what he was years ago with Red Bull. We haven't seen peak Danny Ricardo in a long, long time. Same with Sebastian Vettel, and I, I know they're not in the best cars, but I, I, Seb, I, I mean that that Aston Martin car must really be struggling. He keeps spinning out and having like little problems, but 
I will say this to, to credit Sebastian Vettel. He had one of the coolest moments I've ever seen in my life where he went through the runoff and then did a quick spin and spun all the way around. Like that showed so much control of the car where he did like a 180 with one spin of the wheels in the runoff, which has like such a low margin for error. That was very cool. But Seb needs to be better. Uh, so does uh, Danny Rick. And it was a huge weekend for Red Bull. They really widened the gap between them and Ferrari. And the storyline this weekend is that, um, you know, Ferrari, man, you, you can't miss out on that many points and then allow your your rival to get a 1-2 finish and get all the points and fastest lap. So max points for Red Bull, no points for Ferrari. Really, really painful weekend if you're a Ferrari fan. What do they call them? The Tifosi, I think, is their fan base. So uh, anyway... The Azerbaijan Grand Prix was was fun was I it wasn't fun necessarily, but it created a lot of interesting impacts leading off of it. And so uh, I'm excited for the rest of the year. Hope you're enjoying Formula One like I am. And uh yeah, I just it was a a race with consequences is how I would put it. Uh there's a lot that's gonna have there's a lot's gonna happen in the follow-up to this race in Formula One. All right, guys, that's all I have. That is episode one from the truck. It is so hot in here. I'm ready to, it was pretty good to like the last 10 minutes. And I'm just, it's the sun came out. It's right above me. It's really hot. But uh, I hope you enjoyed the first ever episode of Strong Opinion Sports from the truck. I'm going to try the applause thing again. I don't know if you can hear it. So it'd be kind of hilarious if you couldn't, but yay, we did it. Yay. Woo! Yeah. Now even worse is what if that's too loud and that maybe there's like, here, hold on. Oh. Oh, wow. So I can control how loud it is. You better be able to hear it. That would suck if it didn't. What does D do? Anything? Oh! I got a little sound pad. That's wild and fun. I'm sorry. I feel like it was really loud earlier. I can't change it, but... Guys, that's all I have. Uh, I don't... This can't be the outro music. I'm not... I'm going to talk through this music. Thank you. Um, but I love you. I appreciate you. Thank you so much for tuning in. Have a great day. And, uh... Man! Uh, but I'm bum... Bam, we are done.